All right, now I'm here. It's moving to hear different languages, proclaiming glory and majesty of God. So it is such a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, even before Julie and I uh, came here to worship with you, some of our folks from Oxford Center for Mission Studies uh, have been part of this family. And one of them uh, is Andrew Anderson. It, it is nice to have them imported from another country, if, if you may, uh, almost. Um, now Andrew serves as our chaplain while Hazel uh, gives uh, her time as a professional archivist. Uh, also, Sam from um, Delhi, I think he's away for a while. He, I believe he's part of your family. And uh, several students also sent their greetings to you. Um, I, will, I will pass them to, to you then. This uh, is an exciting uh, time that we live and we are privileged as an institution and community of mission practitioners and researchers, and Oxford Center for Mission Studies has been hosted by churches and uh, Christians in this city. I will learn a little bit more about it, but one way is to uh, to to learn from one student of ours. I wonder if I can ask you, Desta, to come forward. All right, uh, just, uh, what is your name? Uh, my name is Desta, Desta Demsey. Okay, you yeah. read uh, the scripture in Amharic. Yeah. What language was that? that that's uh, from Ethiopia, East Africa. Okay. Yeah. It's a very ancient language, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It All is. Right. 30% of our language is from Hebrew and from uh, uh, Arab, Arabic. Yes, a mixture. 30% of that is from both languages. Okay. Um, when I, I visited uh, Addis Ababa, um, it was, was just striking how the Christian presence has been in that country for a long time. I believe that uh, there is a tradition that the first emperor was a son of Solomon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a descendant. Queen Sheba is from Ethiopia. And uh, when she went to uh, Jerusalem, that's an Ethiopian Orthodox church. Is I mean, he has, they have the history about that. She went there. And when she came back, she conceived uh, Minilik. And from there, the, I, I think you have heard about the Falashas from Ethiopia. And that's uh, the background of uh, the Queen Sheba and Solomon's relationship. Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll leave that there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also you have a tradition that uh, the Ark of the Covenant mm. finally traveled to somewhere yeah. Uh, to Ethiopia, and yeah. uh, that's there now. Yeah, yeah, that's there okay. in northern Ethiopia, yeah. All right, we'll leave that there, <laughs> too. Um, but it, it it was striking um, that this 
ancient nation and and the Christian communities are very much uh, on mission today. What what church do you represent? I I, I am from the Ethiopian Kalehewa Church. It's established 85 years back. Four missionaries came to Ethiopia 85 years back. It's now multiplied to millions. It's eight eight thousand congregation now. And what? How? How your church caught the vision for mission? How? What? What are your missionaries right now? Yeah, uh, in in the country, uh, just we have a mission training school, and we train them cross culturally and scattered all over the country. I mean, where the Muslims are dominating and the traditional religion are dominating, they are scattered there. And also, we have international missionaries in Pakistan, in China and Sudan. Uh, although the country is poor, the church is poor, they are committed for evangelism. Just with what God has given us, we owe the world to preach the word of God. And uh, around 20 missionaries are all over the world now. All right. Um, I saw in your church that there is a small yellow booklet that people are holding with pride because that that is... Uh, there is a booklet that will be signed by by when you give uh, your monthly missions offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a in, in the culture we have every month just we contribute something just as a preaching, uh, saying that I I share the evangelism, and whoever goes for evangelism, one just a single coin. Starting from there, people are giving money. Although some sometimes you'll be amazed, the poorest of the poor, but they sell a grain or they sell something and just bring that to church. And with that money, evangelists are sent to different parts of the world. Okay, the, the your church, Kalehawi Church, has about eight million members today. Yeah. Uh, what was your role within the church? Uh, before coming to OCMS, I was a development director. We have different type of, uh, it's, it's not only evangelism, it's very difficult. With a starving stomach to preach gospel, very, very difficult. And the church has its uh, strategy to help people, needy people, to get some food, some assistance. And I was directing that. Uh, the church has uh, different development, HIV AIDS, water and sanitation uh, irrigation and health and educational program, and with that, the church is supporting the nation as a whole. Okay. What? What? Uh, why do you do your PhD study through OCMS, yeah. and what is the topic that you are pursuing? Yeah, uh, my, my research topic is uh, tr on transformational, holistic transformational development. I'm studying. We have a special program which is addressing women, women in need. Those women are uh, in Africa. It's not like the West. In Africa, they are very much depressed, very much used, overused, and helping those women to help themselves. Helping a woman is helping the family. It's not helping the man only. When we help them, so that they can help. And we, the the idea is, God has given you potential. Use that potential and come up, come out of that poverty. And we're not giving them money, but we are helping them, encouraging them to save money. 
and the poorest of the poor, they start saving. And God has blessed that initiative. And many people just collect their money in one pot. Then every time they get loan from that, they start with chicken, they buy chicken, and they sell that chicken. And when they get money, they buy another uh, ship, and that's how it grows. And that's that work, how it affects the church's ministry, and how that can be uh, a tool for evangelism and bringing out the church's ministry to the global world that, so that there is a potential to help the needy in the country. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Let's give him a hand. I brought two small books uh, to the church. Uh, they contain the stories of our graduates and some of our students, and I'm sure that you will be encouraged uh, by reading them. This morning we are going to deal with a subject that is very close to us, but sometimes very strange. Okay, this is me. Um, just in case you wonder, I'm a Korean uh, with a Korean wife. To make sure, uh, I'm a Pentecostal, as I grew up, uh, I studied Old Testament, uh, Pentecostal in spirituality, but uh, my life is a missionary all the way through. Uh, Julie and I served as, a, as missionaries to the Philippines uh, for almost three decades. Um, 2006, we moved to Oxford to lead Oxford Center for Mission Studies, and I have several titles, rather intriguing. A little bit about Oxford Center for Mission Studies, as this is part of your mission thinking. It's a community of mission practitioners and researchers. Desta just illustrated uh, what what we call the holistic mission is critical, especially if we are going to expect the churches in the global south are going to be empowered to lead the missionary endeavor. Drawn from over 40 nations, almost from every Christian family. This makes very interesting. Focused on holistic mission, and evangelical faith. Currently, we have about 120 PhD students, just like Desta, uh, mostly part-time, because it is important for them to continue what they are doing. And in fact, their research is what based on what they are doing. Therefore, there is a constant cycle of reflection and practice and applying and uh, enriching the whole process. We have about 110 uh, PhD graduates so far. Let me do a little bit of bragging. 
if you wouldn't mind, as part of this city and part of a Christian family in this city. Uh, International Bulletin of Missionary Research is uh, one of uh, mission journals. In its 10-year survey, OCMS is ranked as the number five in the world and number two in the UK or Europe in producing PhD graduates in mission studies. I mean, it's, it's a number, but uh, we praise the Lord because this is only possible through everybody putting their hands together and God's kingdom is advanced. We also publish uh, books and a journal. Uh, one of one of them I have here as a sample is a, um, called uh, Edinburgh Centenary Series. Okay, enough of uh, my publicity, I think. All right, um, we read the important passage in John 17. Why is it important? I mean, if this is the the last prayer of Jesus before he was crucified, everybody takes seriously. Prayer is, of course, addressing to the Father. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I think even that line strikes hard because he was about to leave the disciples, but he was talking about joy. 14. I have given them your word, and the world does, world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. Now, in these two verses, how many times do you read world already? Our passage uh, from 13 through 18, at least eight times we read this word, cosmos in Greek, or world in English. That, that draw me into an interesting survey. I realized in John about 74 times this word appears. Whereas in Matthew only 11 times, Mark only once, and Luke only seven times. Then you will begin to wonder what's going on here. And I quickly begin to realize that John's gospel was the last gospel. It was written towards end of the first century. You can imagine that by this time, perhaps all other apostles had died. And by looking at some of other literatures that John produced, like Book of Revelation, and three epistles, we realize that he had experienced the reality 
of the world far more than any others. Apostles. And also not only himself, but also his churches, perhaps scattered around Asia Minor, as he was writing his epistles, his gospel primarily, he was admonishing them how they ought to live in this world as God's people instead of just expecting a quick resolution that you are snatched up to heaven. So that that makes this prayer relevant to us because the context we live today, surrounded by cultures, forces, that are not necessarily friendly to the followers of Christ or the church. So it it is quite obvious that John has developed a very complex idea about the world. We're going to look at three of them. First, the world in John is the object of God's love. John 3, 16 and 17, it is quite clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's very clear. I mean, I I told you that I studied the Old Testament a little bit. As I read the first two chapters of Genesis, God's glorious creation. Chapter 3, fall of humanity, thus the curse upon the whole creation. I began to wonder, did God exhausted all the raw material to start again? There must be water, there must be dust. There, he has his breath. Why he acted as if there is no other way to start the creation all over again, but he has to fix it. He has to Restore them. In fact, whole record of the Old Testament and now New Testament shows that God was determined to restore his creation. That's where the world fits so beautifully. Yes, it's fallen, but God did not give up on this. In fact, we realize that this is the world that helps us to define who we are today as God's people. If there is no world that God 
the Lord sent us to, then basically this is a club of God's people enjoying, but not much work to do. That will be quite, I, I, I wouldn't say boring, but that will have less excitement perhaps. There is one author challenging us that during the long period, about 15 centuries of what is called the Christendom, that means the Christianity ruled the whole society, determines how it operates. During this time, there are several things that disappeared. One of them was the world. The church ruled the politics, economics, education, commerce, and everything. In fact, sometimes the church appointed kings and queens. Church rules over the world. In their perception, the kingdom has come. The church has no world to go and witness the saving grace of Jesus. The only thing left is far-flung areas. Now, you can imagine how that shaped our understanding of mission. Therefore, mission is only for a few people, specially trained and carefully commissioned, will do. It's not the ordinary congregations like this who will mess up with mission, but it will be special order or societies that will do the mission. Now, you and I quickly realize how critical it is that we restore the world in our prayer, in our theology, in our everyday life, in our witnessing life, so that we can real people of God with a lot of works to do. That's exactly what mission is about. Now, number two, we are in it. We are in the world, but we are not of it. That can be quite tricky. In fact, even the world looked at us and would say, you look like us, but you claim that you are different from us. What's going on? Perhaps I was not right. Because in the prayer of Jesus, he was saying that the world is going to hate them. Because they, or we, even if we are in the world together, we look alike, we are different, and the world knows it. We were taken away from the world. 
so that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we are restored, and we become children of God. We become holy nation. And we become sacred people, holy, set apart. Therefore, this disengagement took place on the cross. Being God's people is a radical experience. And Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, with him. Therefore, I no longer live, or in King James, is no longer that I live. But it is Christ who lives in me. Now, oftentimes, we forget this. But remember, the world doesn't forget this. Because they have to hate us. In fact, the world knows it. Just like in a pitch dark night, nobody will mistake a light. And that's you and me. Therefore, we are in it. But we are not of it. Don't try to fool the world. They know it. The third. Yes, we were taken away from the world so that we can become people of God. Now verse 18 we read, As you sent me into the world, Jesus prays, I have sent them into the world. This is no less than a messianic calling. Jesus is saying that as you, the Father, has called me and sent me to the world, now I'm sending them to the world. Therefore, you are living and I'm living a messianic vocation. It is not a small thing at all. That drove me to to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus proclaimed his own mission, which is deeply connected to his understanding of himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now this this proclamation of Jesus also shows a little bit of what 
what he understood the world. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. They are part of the world. God wants to restore. Therefore, this prayer teaches us that we are intentionally placed in this world. This world is part of our life, part of our calling, and part of our mission. Mission field, where we are sent. Mission time, every moment, therefore. Mission field, mission work, what we do every day becomes the primary locus where God's grace and His saving good news is witnessed through proclamation, through life, and through action. Let me just uh, bring our context home. As a Korean, or a Pakistani, who I invited this morning but uh, couldn't come, for, for Japanese, let's say, Less than 1% of all population is Christian. I believe that in this city, about 10 to 12% of people attend Sunday worship service each Sunday. And yet, unfortunately, in some minds of Christians and churches, in comparing with the golden days, there is a, a shade of defeatism. We do not have the old glory. We do not have the old influence. We do not have that resources, human resource, or, or financial resources to do mission. Here is the good news. God is restoring the world in our midst. And fortunately, that becomes, uh, that looks more like the early church that John was sending his gospel and epistles to. You are surrounded by the world, religions, nations, forces, but that's exactly where you are sent to be my witnesses. Because I'm sending you, your workplace, your kitchen, and your factory, your office becomes the place where my presence is going to be revealed and good news will be witnessed. And the extension of it will be the sending to the nations. Or nations being sent to you 
and so we have weakness. We and the church is the best and only option for Christ to have his saving work to be spread, actualized, and made real. And there is no other option. It's you and me. That makes our life exciting. And that makes his calling so precious. I, I prepared a text and there, is, there are about two other things you may wish to pursue as you uh, reflect on this important message. But let us remind ourselves the world is the object of God's love. Yes, we are in the world, but not of the world. In fact, we are sent into this world just like the Father sent His Son. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as the early church, surrounded by, by hostile forces, but encouraged to stand up with a full conviction that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And as the first fruits of his redemption. We are so grateful that you have sent us back to the world, to our relatives, to our families, to my friends. And I pray that your spirit will empower us to become more than conquerors. And our life, our words, and our works will all become powerful instrument through which your kingdom will be revealed to this world. I thank you for this calling. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.